Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, February 25th, 2013, and today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 10, Two Employers, on page 142, the very first paragraph, beginning with, Next, he can be assured that you do not intend... The readers for today are Fran, Katie, Judy B., and Penny E., and the share code for Friday's meeting, February 22nd, is 3952. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting for our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Uh, Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, a recovered compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be here this morning. Uh, The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others, or would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Uh, Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I will pass. Thank you. I will now call on Rebecca to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Rebecca F. from Connecticut, a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
two, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Rebecca. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 10, Two Employers. On page 142, beginning with the very first paragraph, next he can be assured. And I will ask Fran to begin reading, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Next, he can be assured that you do not intend to lecture, moralize, or condemn. That if this was done formally, it was because of misunderstanding. If possible, express a lack of hard feeling toward him. At this point, it might be well to explain alcoholism, the illness. Say that you believe he is a gravely ill person with this qualification. Being perhaps fatally ill, does he want to get well? 
You ask because many alcoholics being warped and drugged do not want to quit. But does he? Will he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well, to stop drinking forever? If he says yes, does he really mean it? Or down inside, does he think he is fooling you and that after rest and treatment, he will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then? We believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points. Be satisfied he is not deceiving himself or you. And um, to me, this you know, you have to have an understanding of the disease before you can even question someone on this. You have to know enough about the disease to understand that, um, like where it says here about uh, moralizing, lecturing, and condemning, that shows that there's no understanding of what the disease is. And now that this um, employer understands the disease, he can have a conversation with this man and um, and say, you know, are you serious about this? And um, the paragraph before talks about the employer having a firm, um, you know, like a tough love kind of attitude, and that's what's going to help this employee. And uh, it's an awesome thing to have understanding, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Kim. Kim, good morning. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. You know, these instructions that they're giving the employer um, is for someone who's not a um, alcoholic talking to someone who is an alcoholic that that needs to know, you know, for his business. He needs to know, is this guy done for good? Is he willing to invest any more time in this gentleman? You know, because if, he, if this gentleman thinks it's a temporary solution, it may not be worth it for this employer to continue to employ him, you know. But I think these are also good instructions for us as recovered people when we're talking to our to a, a prospective sponsee. You know, we need to know, are they done for good? And so will he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well, to stop drinking forever? If he says yes, does he really mean it? Or down inside, does he think he is fooling you and that after rest and treatment, he will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then? Because I think a lot of us come in. You know, we're willing to do this till our 40 pounds are off or we're willing to do this until our daughter's wedding, or we're willing to do this to get our family off our backs. But are we done for good? Are we lit this time? Do we understand that we are truly powerless, that we have this allergy of the body that will never, ever change? And even more dastardly, that we have this obsession of the mind that it left untreated, left untreated, is going to make us go back to the food over and over again. Because we believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points. And this is what we have to, you know, as recovered people, when we're taking on a sponsor, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of investment. And if someone is not done, if someone still thinks they can go back and eat, if someone still thinks this is a temporary solution, I'll get back on track, I'll get back on track, they're not ready yet. They're not ready yet. So we have to know, are you done for good? Do you believe that you are gravely ill? To say what you believe, he's a gravely ill person with this qualification, 
being perhaps fatally ill, does he want to get well? And the sad thing is, for a lot of compulsive overeaters, they don't want to get well. What they want is to be able to eat like they want to eat and not have the consequences. They just want a little bit of pain taken away and then they want to go back. So from the recovered perspective, we have to qualify these sponsees. And for those of you that are new, look at this. Are you ready? Do you want to stop drinking forever? Or are you thinking after rest and treatment, you will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Well, I'll jump in. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Of course, we're in Chapter 10 here, entitled Two Employers. And now the authors of the book, these men and women who uh, recovered, who were ex-problem drinkers, are now making an effort to enlighten employers about their pervasiveness of alcoholism in the workplace, and they're making suggestions on how to properly handle interventions and actually confronting these employees. Um, so they're taking great lengths here, as we can see. It's quite a quite a abundant chapter to address this issue. It says here. Will he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well, to stop drinking forever? I don't know about you, but I certainly get the feeling that uh, <laughs> there's no monkey business going on here. This is some tough love here. Uh, they're handing it on a on a nice platter. You know, this is no joke. Uh, they obviously, as we've read, they see that their employees are intelligent. They're, they can be hardworking. They have talent. They have strengths that uh, benefit the company or the business, but lo and behold, this alcoholism is truly getting in the way, and they're ready, despite the talents and strengths that their employee may, may um, demonstrate, these employers are ready to, to uh, give them a pink slip and show them the door, but they're taking the effort here, making the effort to assist this alcoholic, but uh, they are definitely doing it with a tough love approach. Will he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well to stop drinking forever? Um, there's no joke here. Willingness is a one-person job, and we've read many times in this text, I mean, we're already on page 142, that frothly emotional appeal seldom suffices. Uh, people can plead with us. Certainly parents have pled with us, um, plead with us and, and siblings and friends. And uh, here we have the employers, um, but they're doing it with consequences. You know, the buck stops here. Either you get your act together, Mr. Alcoholic, or I will show you the door swiftly. And thank you, Kim, for that correlation to sponsor-sponsee relationship. I was thinking that as well, that, um, you know, we're not here to convince you of every, anything. We let the disease convince you. 
we let pain be the greatest motivator because nothing I can really say um, will convince you. You know, if you don't want to get well, nothing I can say will help you if you don't want to get well. And in the same same token, if you do want to get well, nothing I can say will hurt you. Um, It really is um, a desire that comes from within. It's when you're not only listening with your ears, but you're listening with your soul and you're ready to start anew. Um, You know, sometimes, especially in OA, we try to uh, sell out to save the newcomer and to give you what you want to hear so we don't lose you. And if you're new, let me suggest to you that we have an inexhaustible supply of newcomers in Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, We don't need to solicit newcomers. And certainly AA never needed to send out invitations either. Because pain drives you here, and if you leave uh, to to volunteer for that um, research and development committee, pain will drive you back, maybe, if you're lucky. So, And I'm not trying to be cute, and I'm not underestimating or talking down to you if you are new. All I'm saying is, over the course of my 26 years here, I've watched hundreds and hundreds of OAers leave the rooms And I have long since put aside being a nice girl and walking on eggshells when I speak to newcomers. It's more important, in my humble opinion, as it is stated here in this text, uh, to tell you the truth. To tell you the truth, right? Because honesty without compassion, yes, can be hurtful. But compassion without honesty about this disease is deadly, So what I like to say is if you're like me, and I don't know if you are, but if you are like me, your greatest obstacle to recovery will be your own judgment. Doing what you think is best for you got you here. So how sinister it would be if the authors of the big book and these employers and sponsors uh, left it up to your judgment, um, you know, as to how to recover. And, you know, what the big book is saying here is willingness is a one-person job. Either you follow directions or, or not, you know. It says here, um, you know, if he says yes, does he really mean it? Or down inside, does he think he's fooling you and that after rest and treatment he will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then? We believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points, be satisfied he's not deceiving himself or you. You know, uh, there's a great saying, a person convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Meaning either you are ready to uh, put your face in these pages and implement these steps, or you're not. And if you're not, that's fine. And uh, the employer's ready to show you the door if that's your choice. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs, two paragraphs that were read? This is Katie. Katie, your turn. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, We believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points. Be satisfied he's not deceiving himself or you. Um, Yes, that is what we we do. We we try to find out if the person is really ready. But the fact is, we don't know. I mean, I only time will tell whether someone. really means it. I would say 
that uh, if bets were placed on me when I walked into the rooms the day that I got abstinent, after six years of walking into the rooms day after day, month after month, year after year, and not getting abstinent, that the next week, the next month, six months later, people still would not have believed that I really was going to do this thing, that I really was going to stay abstinent. So it is a one-person job, and it's between us and our higher power. And it's not up to me to judge and decide whether someone's really ready. If someone presents themselves to me and says, I want what you have, I'm willing to do what you do, I share with them what I do, and I try to help them. It's not up to me to be the judge and jury in someone's life. All our job is is to uh, make ourselves available. And this is a great thing for employers to understand the the grave malady that um, this person has. And but you know, if we're going to go on in this chapter, it's not like you know employers become treatment centers and become meeting places. I mean, they need they need the program. We just need employers to understand that, you know, people hit bottom and then they are resurrected. They do completely change. You can have a new person. You can have a new employee if they recover. That'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs before we move on? Hi, this is Karen. Karen, good morning. Go ahead. Hi. Um, what strikes me about this is when I've um, when I speak to new people that are looking for a sponsor, and um, they, you know, I, I'll say what I, they'll say. Well, what do you do? And I'll share what I do, and um, and when I'd be available. And um, a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, but sometimes there's the person will say, well. 1 p.m., whatever, 7 p.m. would work better for me than 7 a.m., and right away the manipulation will start, you know, and it takes one to know one. <laughs> so, you know, being a manipulator, I don't like being manipulated, and I can sense it immediately. And um, so I just said, well, this is, you know, what I have to offer, and this is how I do it, and all I can share with you is my experience. And, you know, so then I'll ask them what they think and can we go forward from here. And um, it's either yes or no, or if they think, well, I think I'll think about it. And I'm like, well, that's the right choice because from other people that I've tried to hold on to maybe a little bit too long, um, it just got more and more um, aggravating. And um, so I guess in that respect, I have... Um, I am of clear mind and body today. Initially it was I had to, you know, get the physical, clear up physically and then um and then mentally and today I have a spiritual solution. So, um, you know, and I feel like a success. I'm connected to God or I try to be every day. And um and if it doesn't feel right, then, you know, I have the self-esteem to ask the person, you know, about it. You know, and with love and tolerance, but um, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. I don't fight it. I used to fight everything. And um, so with that, but this does say to the employer, and um, I'm in a situation right now where I'm home on family leave, and um, it's, you know, you talk about the disease of alcoholism or um, food addiction, 
they, um, you know, that's both are, are in my history. And um, it was uh, the, the amount of stress where I was shipped to a new place this year and everything. And um, it's a very tricky situation. You know, you try to, as a, a new person that's trying to conform or whatever, or trying to do what they ask you to do, and then when you find that you really can't do it, and yet there is no help there. So I think for me, as a newcomer, I was, um, I needed to, I knew nothing, <laughs> basically nothing about staying sober or abstinent. And I didn't like doing, I didn't like follow directions, but um, I had to because, well, I wanted to because I was desperate enough. And, um, and from like the spiritual thing, everything that would make me cringe initially. And uh, so it took many a long time, many moons, but in my mind, I always felt like, well, there wasn't any any other alternative. It's either this or what I came from, which I didn't want to go back to each time. So um, I guess today, even with my own family leave and everything, I just um, have to pray every morning. At least I have, I'm grateful through the steps. I have um, a faith in God today, and I call him God. And uh, and I have um, people that I'm um, relationships in the program as well, and um, so I can run it by people. I don't have such a big ego today, so I can ask for help. And that's another thing I didn't want to do. I didn't want you to know how much I didn't know. And that had something to do with all the problems I had at this most recent um, new placement. After 17 years, they sent me to someplace else, and um, without any instruction or anything really and um, so it's um, it gets kind of uh, confusing or I'm in the I'm in the process right now to trying to sift everything out and um, but in another chapter it says we have a new employer today so that's the really what I like to start my day with and it's the you know my new he's the director he's my principal and um, so I'm grateful that I'm at that point that I can, you know, look to my new employer and ask that new employer to direct me. And I know today that, you know, these feelings or when I come up from whatever comes to my mind through a meditation in the morning, I know, especially if I can't sleep at night, it's something I need to address probably. It's God organizing my day for me. And, yeah, there is fear involved. But, you know, I've worked through fear before, and I can talk about it, and I have tools that I can use to, um, you know, make it clear, to see what my part was in each situation. So I don't know if I'm off the track or on the track <laughs> or what, but um, to the employer is, um, I think, like anything else, it's like, this is what I need to do here. You know, if this is your problem I can't have this and and if the person chooses to do whatever they're going to do you know violate whatever I ask them not to do then I think the employer has you know complete um, you know that's their right to say I'm sorry you know we've you know lasted three times or whatever it is and um, you know maybe you need to take care of this so but you can do it with love and tolerance as well 
Um, I guess that's it for me. Thank you. And thank you. Katie, let's move on to the next paragraph, please. I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater. Um, whether you mention this book is a matter for your discretion. If he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer, he might as well be discharged after the next bender, which, if an alcoholic, he is almost certain to have. He should understand that emphatically. Either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well, or you are not. If not, why waste time with him? This may seem severe, but it is usually the best course. Should I go on? Please. After satisfying yourself that your man wants to recover and that he will go to any extreme to do so, you may suggest a definite course of action. For most alcoholics who are drinking or who are just getting over a spree, a certain amount of physical treatment is desirable, even imperative. The matter of physical treatment should, of course, be referred to your own doctor. Whatever the method, its object is the thoroughly clear mind and body of the effects of alcohol. In competent hands, this seldom takes long, nor is it very expensive. Your man will fare better if placed in such physical condition that he can think straight and no longer crave liquor. If you propose such a procedure to him, it may be necessary to advance the cost of treatment. But we believe it should be made plain that any expense will later be deducted from his pay. It's better for him to feel fully responsible. Um, yes, this is, you know, uh, emphasizing the fact that um, getting over alcohol is a physical, you know, can be very physically um, challenging. And, you know, I think we, um, as compulsive overeaters, um, we recommend that people get a food plan prescribed to them by a doctor that they, that they, or a nutritionist, that they um, see, you know, that their health is checked out, you know, that people, um, you know, a lot of times in uh, disease, people avoid the doctor because they want to avoid the scale and they want to avoid the lecture. Now, I have story after story of people, you know, finding out severe things that were going on in their bodies because they, um, you know, put blinders on to the signs and, and didn't want to face that. Um, but that's not what we're talking about here. So, you know, I just want to go back to the first um, part. If he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer, he might as well be discharged. You know, this is a progressive disease. It's a fatal disease. It is not one that allows any, um, you know, any for us, any of our binge foods, for the alcoholic, even beer. You know, you, if, if they think that they can just have a little bit now and then, you know, it's grandma's birthday, so, you know, why don't you have a piece of cake? You know, that uh, kind of thinking of under, not understanding that this, uh, they have an allergy of the body and an obsession of mind, you know, that's where they need to be thinking. And, you know, I think it's great for the employer, as I said earlier, to understand the fatal nature of this disease, um, but really the employer is not the one who's going to save him. Um, his own willingness to, to get help, wherever that may be, is what, um, you know, what a person needs, is, is their own um, 
just willingness. I, I can't think of a different word. So uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else like to comment on the text that was just read? These two paragraphs, please. Good morning. This is Margaret in New Jersey. Hi, Margaret. Good morning, Leah. Uh, I just wanted to bring up this this one uh, little phrase: a definite course of action. You know, after satisfying yourself that your man wants to recover and that he will go to any extreme to do so, you may suggest a definite course of course of action. And you know, before I got here, I really didn't know what the definite course of action is. Uh, you know, I didn't know how to go through the steps. I had never had somebody really take me through the steps. And I always like what I hear on here. We have to put the food down and we have to get busy. And I think in getting busy is, is, you know, just is to just jump into those steps and get moving because as, as you say and many people say that this is the most, uh, you know, the time when we put the food down until the time when we get through the steps and our mind gets recovered, uh, you know, is a dangerous time. So, you know, there can't be any messing around here. When we're ready, we really do have to get that food down. And, and and you know I you know learned a while back we have to become good followers you know first of all I had to find the people that I really saw recovered and I needed a choir full of them myself uh, one or two somehow just wasn't enough for me I needed that choir but then but then I had to get busy I had to get busy and follow them and become a good follower and and stop asking so many questions and just do the work. And then, and then the uh, you know all the fog began to clear, began to clear, and I could see that the, that there really was recovery here. And so I'm so grateful for that. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else like to comment on the two paragraphs which were read? This is Kim. Hi, Kim. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim J. Um, I just want to bring out some definitions and some just consistency once again in the big book. It says, if he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer, he might as well be discharged after the next spender. So temporizes, what does that mean? You know, there used to be something in the 30s called temperate societies. It means moderate. You know, because they really thought that the problem isn't that these alcoholics drink. The problem is they get drunk. And if we can teach them how not to get drunk, then they'll be okay. So if they're still in that mindset that, no, 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 it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm drinking. I understand I can't get drunk anymore. I'm going to learn how to have just a couple. You know, and the way it says even beer, I mean, how many of us know what our binge foods are? But we think, well, if I get it from the health food store, or maybe if it's organic. You know, I love the story in the back, and it says, you know, I I use ice cubes in my drinks. How could I be an alcoholic? Oh, come on. I bought it from the health food store. How can, I, how can this be a binge food for me? So if that person thinks they can still temporize, if they think they can still have just a little bit of their binge foods, we might as well discharge them. And I believe, once again, this is instructions to the sponsor. If someone is not willing to put the food down, I have nothing to work with. So it says at the top of 143, a certain amount of physical treatment is desirable, even imperative. And that physical treatment means getting the food down. And we're told that in the doctor's opinion. It is imperative. It is imperative. That mean, word again, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. So it's imperative that we have the food down. And then it continues, your man will feel better if placed in such physical condition that he can think straight and no longer crave liquor. 
So once again, we were introduced to the definition of craving in the doctor's opinion. You know, for a normal person, like my father, who on Thanksgiving goes, oh, I can't wait to go to Aunt Sally's because she's going to have that apple pie. I'm craving that apple pie. That's because once a year, my father has that apple pie. And the memory of it is what he is, is the Webster's Dictionary of Craving. He thinks of the memory and he wants it and he's craving it. But we're told here in the doctor's opinion and, and reminded employers that craving has to do with after we have ingested the food. So after we have ingested the food, that phenomenon of craving is triggered and we are craving that food and nothing else matters. Nothing else matters at that moment except getting more and more. We become less satisfied at the hundredth flight than we were at the first. So it says again, your man will fare better if placed in such physical condition that he can think straight and no longer crave liquor. So once the food is down and that physical craving is gone, then we can really get busy. Let's get busy. Put that food down and let's get busy. Because the larger aspect of our disease is the, is the obsession of the mind. And that's where that definite course of action happens. Because the miracle is, the miracle of this program is not that I'm going to be able to control the food and I'm not going to have to eat today. But the miracle of this program is this course of action will get us to that place called recovered, where I recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and I am no longer going to want to eat. And if I no longer want to eat, I will not go back, experience the allergy, and have that craving. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Judy B. Hi, Judy. Go ahead. Um, uh, I've just lost my place. I I wanted to um, comment on the fact that um, a definite course of action uh, needs to be suggested. And as an employer, they're not, they're not going to take somebody through the steps. They're not going to uh, do all this, but they are going to recommend a course of action, whether it be hospitalization, whether it be um, a group which can help him, whether it be another um, employee that can work with the person, um, that's what they're going to suggest. And I'm looking at this also as a, as a sponsor um, because that is exactly what we can do with the people who come to us. We need to be satisfied that the person wants to recover and that he will go to any extreme to do so. And you may suggest a definite course of action. And as a sponsor, we can, we can suggest that definite course of action, which is going, going through the steps. And first, it does clearly tell us that the mind must be cleared and the body must have no effects of the um, substance in it. And I, I want to refer back to... Um, page 25, because this, to me, is the most important thing that we need to talk about when, when talking with a new person, that there are only two choices. You know, I mean, it seems there's so much information here, but truthfully, there are only two pa choices. One was to go to the bitter end, lauding out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. You know, we either have to stop being in denial, you know, we have to accept that this is our problem and that we need help. 
and we have to be willing to take that help. And that that's the bottom line uh, for all of us. That was the bottom line for me. I had to know that I can't pussyfoot around anymore. You know, I can stay in this disease or I can follow this this guide which is given to me and follow the uh the steps and 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 get help and and have the solution and um the the, the solution is here but but we must know that there's no there's no going back and forth we just we have to be clear that this is what we're going to do we have a choice and um I wanted to mention one other thing, and that is that our book has told us over and over, a person may may have this willingness, but he may need help, and that there is nothing wrong with getting uh, medical help or help from uh, doctors, psychiatrists, somebody to help us with that part of, of the problem. But a, a good recovered sponsor will also... Um, guide you through the 12 steps, and uh, the the information that you need is here in this book, and, it, and it's, ours, it's ours for the willingness. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Yes, Hi, this I is love. Melanie. Was that Donnie? Uh, Melanie? Melanie, I'm so sorry. And who else was there? I heard a gentleman. Steve. Steve, Melanie and Steve, thanks. Thank you, Leah. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I'm reading over this and into these things a little bit something different. Of course, we're talking to the, the employers. This is instruction for the employer, and I'm seeing it. Um, they're using very strong words, you know, extreme, um, definite, um, those kinds of things. And I, I just wonder if I'm the only one out there um, I didn't get many suggestions from my sponsor. I didn't get many, you know, like this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. We're all going to get together here, and we're going to teach you what we know, um, but this is how it goes. I got words like, these are your marching orders, and, um, you know, this is the this is where you go to get a food plan, and we're going to get real clear about what your binge foods are, and we're going to figure this out, and this is the way it's going to be. This is how it's going to happen. And... Um, and this reminds me of, of page 133. You know, you have more to do than, than um, clearing the mind. It gets a little outside the bounds of the steps, and we, you know, go and get some help outside. Um, th- I just feel that this is a very, very, very strong statement, and this is posturing the employer to, to square the shoulders, get beyond um, the, the, the thought of, oh my gosh, you know, he's doing so well, or poor thing, you know, I'll do an exception here, an exception there. I just get this completely, there was no suggestion for me. They got me busy. There were some guidelines. It was very clear structure because my life is unmanageable, unmanageable by me. And that kind of firm direction, that kind of uh, tight line to stay within got my behind out of the ditch. And it worked for me. This, you know, this business of walking side by side or come back if you want to, whatever, would not have saved a, a compulsive over like compulsive overeater like me. And um, 
And I'm grateful that the sponsor that I had was real clear on the Jekyll and Hyde of me, that this is the way I'm going to be in this situation and that it needs to be confronted, not the heart of Melanie, but, but the, the addict of Melanie need to be confronted. And this is it. This is the line if you want to get well. And that I was also told that the quality of that recovery was up to me. There were the, the, you know, the, the, no more kid gloving for me. And it may sound pretty harsh on the outset, but I'm telling you, this is a relentless, relentless disease and gets in under all kinds of places. You know, I'm the exception. You know, can I have this little thing with my food? Can I do this little thing today? Because I've got to go at this time. I'm telling you, it is, it, is, it is shrewd, cunning, baffling, and sly. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. And Steve, please. Yes, uh, I love this passage. Uh, this morning before uh, dialing in, I got on my knees and asked God, what, you know, what, what do you want me to do today? And I got this passage because I'm going to work. And in my work, I have, uh, I'm an employer. And I have people coming to me, and they need to either uh, uh, do what I suggest or not. And when they don't, oftentimes I will uh, get frustrated, et cetera. And the deal is it has to come from them, and they have to get to a certain point. And I'm not in control, whether it's uh, employer, sponsor, parent, where this it has to come. You can't tell it. I can't tell anybody. And when I try to control them and want them to be this way, uh, I have to be today. This, is, this passage is telling me to let go, make the suggestion, but no, stand firm. I have what I have to offer. And uh, if they don't want it, fine. Uh, and uh, maybe they'll come back. Maybe they won't. But the load's off of me. And so I really like this. Uh, thank you very much for uh, reading this. Uh, I'm Steve, an overeater. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. And this is Leigh. I'd like to comment on some of the uh, statements made in these two paragraphs as well. That's a strong language here. It says, either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well or you are not. It sounds like uh, no reservations, right? Uh, we see that uh, earlier in the text in Chapter 3, you know, where it says, if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune uh, to alcohol. So either you're dealing with a man who can and will get well or you are not. You know, there, there is no question. The program of recovery is not on trial. It's not on trial. The program of recovery, uh, nobody has been able to improve on this recovery program described, uh, that was described in the first edition in 1939. So either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well. You can and will get well if you choose to get well implementing these steps, or you are not. You know, if not, why waste time with him? Again, some tough love served up. This may seem severe, but it is usually the best course. You know, severe, 
you know, I think about our disease being severe. I don't necessarily think this language is severe. I think the disease is severe. You know, if we just look at compulsive overeating and the medical consequences, I think high blood pressure is severe. I think obesity is severe. I think heart disease is severe. I think high cholesterol is severe. I think diabetes is severe. I think having to uh, stab a needle, a syringe into your vein in order to stabilize uh, your sugar is severe. I think immobility is severe. I thought the fact that I was uh, out of breath trying to run up a flight of steps in my early 20s, that's severe. And if you want to put aside the medical consequences and just look at the the obsession of the mind and how it impedes on our productivity, let's say, in the workplace, I think that's severe. I think the unmanageability of the disease is severe. I think the lowered productivity, the inability to use our talents and our strengths in the workplace, since we're discussing that today, that's severe. I think the neglect of the roles and responsibilities that um, have been assigned to us, I think that's severe. I think our emotional unpredictability and how that affects the people around us, whether it's in our workplaces or under our rooftops and our homes, I think that's severe. I think our unreliability is severe. I think the fact that we are confused people in disease, I think that's severe. I think the conflicts that we have with colleagues and superiors is severe. I think the confrontation that the colleagues and the coworkers have to make upon us sometimes because of our job performance, I think that is severe. So the fact that this language is severe, well, you know, hey, we've got to pay the piper. You know, our disease does affect other people. That's the reality. Uh, it goes on to say on page 143, whatever the method, its object is to thoroughly clear my of, uh, and body of the effects of alcohol, um, making it clear that, uh, you know, we've got to put the substance down. You cannot uh, embark on this program of recovery, which is spiritual in nature, if you are drugged up, medicated on your substance. Because under the heavy anesthetic of compulsive overeating, there is numbness. You're not available. You're cut off from all connection with reality and with life itself. So how can you serve two gods at once? You can't. If you're serving the god of disease... Well, you're going to you're going to serve that master. You're bowing to the desires of your disease and you are not available for the spiritual experience that's going to be coming through through these action steps. It says your man will fare better if placed in physical condition that he can think straight and no longer craves alcohol. That's why the doctor's opinion is in the front of the book and not here on page 143. Because the substances have to go down. For the alcoholic, the plug has to be in the jug. For the compulsive overeater, it's a little bit more complicated because we have numerous substances we might be allergic to and those have to be eliminated. Those have to be eliminated because our disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. The allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. It is rigid. It is unforgiving. And the tiniest amount of trigger foods of those substances will result in a reaction. Because for people like you and me, if you're a real compulsive overeater like me, uh, that feeling intensifies. It never satisfies. So the big book has strong language this morning, and there's good reason for it. And with that, I pass. Who else would like to comment on these two paragraphs? 
This is Helena. May I share? Of course, Helena. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I am really excited to hear what's being shared on these incredible pages. And I'm also very happy that we are pointing out that although all of this can apply to us as sponsors and as people who are reaching out to the compulsive overeater who is still suffering, and also apply to those who are still suffering, and yet it is written to employers and not to us as sponsors. The directions for us as sponsors are in working with others. Um, and of course, we can get a lot out of it. The employer is so great. If the employer can just take a look, if this person wants to get better, now the employer understands a little better. We have recovered and we have something to tell the employer. Your employee can get better if he wants to. If he doesn't want to, feel free to let him go. And that is the tough love that may bring that suffering person into the program to know now on top of everything else I've lost my job because of my compulsion. Um, um, but isn't it beautiful also that we have this, um, that this person can be cleared. You can get to the place where you've been placed in such physical condition that you can think straight and no longer crave your drug of choice. How beautiful is that? And so many of us, or me in particular, thought that that's all that was needed. I just need you to find the way to, no, to put down whatever, to no longer crave, but I can still eat. No, we're going to hear in the next few paragraphs that we then, the only point of that is so that we can get into real recovery. The only point to have our mind cleared so that we can think clearly is so that we can now get into the real recovery. I always sought that place where I no longer had the physical craving and I could think clearly about food, but I could never get there because I wasn't working the steps. So... This is to the employer who is going to be putting the person, looking the person straight in the eye and telling them, here you go. Do you want to get well? There is a way for you. And now let's move on and find that way if you are ready. And if not, it's time for tough love to say, if you do not want to get well, I can no longer keep you. Pass. Thank you, Helena. And let's move on to the next paragraph with Judy B., please. Hello, Leah and everyone. This is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts. If your man accepts your offer, it should be pointed out that physical treatment, <coughs> excuse me, that physical treatment is but a small part of the picture. Though you are providing him with the best possible medical attention, he should understand that he must undergo a change of heart. To get over drinking will require a transformation of thought and attitude. We all had to place recovery above everything, for without recovery, we would have lost both home and business. <coughs> and I would like to share on this, because it's, it's telling us that physical treatment may be necessary, but it's a small part of the picture. I mean, that, that comes first. But we all know that um, there are people who get physical treatment, and on their way out of physical treatment, they get into the disease right away. So physical treatment is necessary and important for some, but um, 
This can be done once the uh, substance is put down if we understand that a change of heart has to take place. And that's what going through the steps will do for us. You know, we will have a transformation of thought and attitude. That's the bottom line. You know, the bottom line is that we will no longer think the way we used to think. We will no longer regard our substance in the way we used to. It will, it, we will come to a neutrality, a neutrality with it. If we go through the steps and, and God provides a, a psychic change for us, a transformation, that, that's what we're looking for and uh, that's what is needed. So um, physical treatment may be offered by the employer, but the um, employee needs to know that that is just part of the picture, a very small part. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Judy B. And with that message of hope, we're out of time. We'll revisit this paragraph tomorrow morning. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We'll now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Penny E., will you please read A Vision for You? Yes, thank you, Leah. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you as, and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.